Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Minerva Subliminal Glasses Solutions. Blunt into the business of the wink and the nod? Can't tell an elbow from a nudge? Feel like everyone is speaking a language you can't lick? Minerva's subliminal glasses expose those extemporaneous explanations without any of the head-scratching entropy. Minerva's subliminal glasses reveal the underlying true message of pedestrians, businesses, and forlorn flirtations. Never again be in the dark about what someone is really saying. Subtext is the enemy of sincerity. So, Sally, be the first to catch the hint and the last to be left out of the loop. Minerva's subliminal glasses solutions. Save your regrets for tomorrow. Bankers, artists, mavens, and magicians, actors and titans and models and musicians, society and even a criminal or two, at the Wormwood Revelry, at the Duchess Radiance Ballroom, the event of the season where all the decadence on display at the Duchess Hotel, decorated resplendent and emerald for today, Felicity founders came early to give Winston a hand at some finishing touches for the Radiance Ballroom and band. A blindfolded quintet would play through the night. The music and whimsy, a treasured delight. Oberon and Titania, sculpted entirely from sugar, with the chilled absinthe flowing down their bodies into ice glass for the sipping. Ice sculptures of fairies with green molds and frozen grapes. Huge bouquets of green dahlias overwhelmed the corners and braided across the ceiling. A troop of characters from Theodore Row, dressed as animals, were some in togas as glittered fairies, 
Dangled green grapes from bunches, poured sips down throats of wineskins. Corseted showgirls, flappers, and contortionists mingled and danced. The dance floor of the Radiance Ballroom covered in a fuzzy green cover like a forest floor. Winston and Felicity had spun a last-minute detail to incorporate the red moss covering the outside of the hotel. They wrapped red drapes from the entrance all the way into the ballroom to mingle with the green decor and introduced a red absent special cocktail in honor of the special extravagant feature of this year's revelry. The lobby packed, the guests already in costumes and ball gowns and green top hats and tuxes, a crowd filled with the carousel bar and the entertainment from the red curtain stage started with comedy and tricks and party games. Next to the red curtain stage, a permanent decoration of a glass case with a ventriloquist dummy and the name Mr. Rabbit on the label. A comedian went to the case and mimed he was going to break the glass and kidnap the dummy as a hostage if people didn't laugh. Lloyd and Cecil got real serious for a moment, but the comedian was just messing around and went on with his jokes. Traffic backed up on the street outside. The crowd streamed in from the outside down the green carpet. And in that lineup, Charity Suter, who slipped out of Mulberry when no one was looking, looking for Paris Green for a little fun and poetry. Edmund was at the office as usual, and without anyone to look after him, Charity addressed Enoch in a little suit with a green corsage and brought him along. She spotted Paris immediately. He was coming out of the elevator with a worried look on his face. He had a bulge in his coat pocket that he was trying to cover. He spotted Charity and immediately smiled, any worry washing for him, and he glided up to her and took her hand. You came, he said. I didn't think you'd get away. Charity blushed, letting go of Enoch as Peric took her hand. Enoch wandered into the crowd, but Charity was too distracted to notice. She was aloft on a warm breeze of sandalwood. Fred and Zuka, two members of the Poisoner's Guild, were held prisoner in the basement of the Duchess. Digby Duncan was making the former ballerina Zuka fight for her life to clear the debt Fred had created with a little accident. Zuka pulled herself up the ropes and stood in the corner. Tunk bent down and stepped between the ropes into the ring. They dragged Fred's chair up to the corner ringside. Z, he said. Just go. Just run. Head for the doors and run for help. I'll distract them and then they can take me. You'll never survive this guy. He'll beat you to death, Fred pleaded with her. Shut up, Digby shouted and kicked at Fred's chair. Tunk shook the ropes and the bell rang before Zuka could get her bearings. He rushed her, grabbed her and picked her up over his head and slammed her back down into the mat hard, stomping near her face to scare her. Zuka had the wind knocked out of her. She picked herself back up again. Tunk laughed. She pulled herself up the ropes and leaned into the corner. She winced from the pain in her feet. Just as she turned around, Tink rushed in again and slammed his right fist into her abdomen, cracking a rib. Zuka fell back against the ropes into the mat and doubled over, grabbing her stomach. Fred was pleading with Digby, pleading with Tunk, trying to kick out of his chair while the rest of the guys hooped and hollered and drowned out his pleas. Zuka caught her breath, pushed up again, and slowly stood against the ropes. Tunk was beating his chest. He tapped his chin, offering Zuka a free shot. Zuka stretched. She revealed the muscular tone of endless hours of dance training, thin and defined. She took a deep breath, 
drifted back into her muscle memory. Her only hope was she could somehow tire this jackass out and stay alive. She tightened her hand wrappings. She bent over and stretched deep to her toes, and then slipped into first position. Foot back, hand in the air, and began a pas de deux. They all laughed hard. Punk laughed so hard he almost ran out of breath and took a knee to recover. What is this dandy nonsense now? Tunk came in with a right hook to knock her over, and Zuka pirouetted just out of the way. She was going over the ballet, the music in her head, the moving, the choreography of her partner. She slipped next to Tunk and lay partially against his shoulder. Her pain was far away. The stinging smell of his sweat. Adagio. Tunk tried to turn off her and Jab got nothing but air. Second position. Pirouette. Third position. Leap. Tunk couldn't find her. He kept throwing wild punches and turning, just missing Zuka. She gracefully glided around him, somehow including him into the dance, pulling him into her world where she was the one who outclassed him. He grabbed for her with both arms to get into a bear hug, and Zuka slipped to the side. She brought her right leg around his waist. Her left balanced off his left calf, one arm around his chest and the other over his shoulder. She brought her mouth up to his ear and whispered. As she did this, the faint blue glow in the box brightened. The tattoos across Zuka's body took on a blue glow of their own, matching in intensity and seeming to almost flow across her body. Tunk couldn't shake her off as she calmly whispered. His legs started to falter. He whirled around wildly, grabbed for the ropes. He'd taken on a sickly hue, his face pale, all the blood gone. There were faint flecks of blue underneath his skin as his eyes went glossy, and Tunk went crashing into the mat face first, smashing his nose bloody. He picked himself up again, tried to turn over, but collapsed, a light blue foam emanating from his mouth with the last gurgle of his life mixing with the blood. Zuka peacefully graced his temple with the backs of her fingers and pulled herself off the mat. Fred was silent. Digby was silent. Two small, slick tentacles flopped over the edge of the box and pulled up a tiny octopus with blue markings glittering in time with Zuka's tattoos. It blinked its large black eyes at Zuka. The single light above the ring still swinging from Tunk's wild thrashing. Digby was stunned. The blue glow subsided as Zuka's tattoos and the octopus returned to normal. Digby stood up, but before he could say anything, Fred kicked his chair apart, loosed his ties, and grabbed the box and octopus and bolted for the door. It happened so fast, the Duncans didn't have time to react, still watching Tunk lifeless on the mat in the ring. Digby shouted and sent the men after him. He took one look at Zuka, looked very impressed, gave her a wink, and ran after Fred. He left Zuka to herself as Tunk's last gurgle escaped him.
Winston had been chasing the red moths throughout the hotel all day. And it was no use. Agatha Fulcrum had demanded he attend to her tub so she could be fashionably late for the Wormwood. Winston was in the large clawfoot tub of the suite, sleeves rolled up above his elbows, pleading with the moss in the hotel to help him out. He was up to his knees in the water, the tub partially full, sloshing about this and all over the floor. He paused to catch his breath and looked up to see Enoch Green, who slipped from Charity's watch downstairs and wandered up the floors to the suite, and was looking inquisitively at Winston's ordeal while eating a pocket full of chilled green grapes. Uh, well, hello there, Winston said. Not sure I remember checking you in. You here for the party? Enoch didn't reply, but peeked his head over the edge of the bathtub. Oh, you, you curious at this job, are you? Well, this is a right mess. Cloud with the drain's something good. I could use a helper. You interested? Enoch looked at the water, unblinking. Great, Winston said. Now you hold up my blackout pudger. If this one busts, I need another one at the ready. Right quick. He lifted Enoch up over the side of the into the tub, behind Winston soaking his pants. Winston handed him a pudger. Oh right, now that's dedication. Okay, at the ready? Good lad. Winston plunged at the drain and pulled at the moss vine. Plunged and pulled. A splash, a creak, a groan, and then something gave way. There was a deep groan and shudder in the floorboards, and the sound of metal pipes rattling. Winston waited. Tried again. The same sounds again, only louder. He then gave it a final hard plunge, and the floor cracked open. He gave way, and a large cloth plunged through the floorboards and down through the Duchess Hotel. Paris spun across the floor of the Radiance Ballroom with Charity. He spun her out into the crowd and used his hand to shove the stolen emerald necklace snugly into the bottom of his jacket pocket. Charity was entranced, in another place, floating, lost in his green eyes, in his effortless grace and smile. The crowd disappeared, just Paris and the music. It took a moment to get some absinthe from the fountain. Paris took two that had finished their ice chill with dissolved sugar. Tonight wouldn't have been the same without you, he said to Charity. The moment I saw you reading, I knew I had to meet you. Edmund had mentioned, but he never mentioned how alluring you are. The band started into a tango. Paris set down his drink and stepped in close. He placed his hand in the small of her back. He leaned in to whisper, but over her shoulder... He spotted Zuka. Zuka, who had used her adrenaline to struggle up from the basement and into the ballroom. She was still in her undergarments, flecked with blood, but bits in her lips and fingers, hair must, looking fresh from the kill, and crackling with electric energy of life. She was irresistible. Their eyes met across the floor. Paris let go of charity, moved past her, wrapped an arm around Zuka and practically picked her up off the floor. He moved with her in the tango, leaning her back into a glide as one of her hands slowly stretched out and graced the floor. The whole room stopped to watch the ballerina and the poet caress. He stood her back up. She wrapped a leg around him, and they kissed. 
Charity felt a flood of deep, green, venomous jealousy wash over her. She jammed her nails into her palms and stared a sweet death at Zuka. Charity was not the violent type, but she was surely pondering it now. She clenched her jaw and closed her eyes and wished harder than she had ever wished for anything for a cold bucket of water to douse them with. And as she wished, she thought her imagination became vivid as she felt a cold trickle of water coming from the ceiling. Then a stream. And she opened her eyes to see a waterfall sleeping out of the ceiling and light fixtures. She thought that it might be part of the elaborate decorations and events. But then this ceiling ripped it apart with a terrible noise as a large iron claw foot bathtub rolled away down the waterfall and crashed onto the dancing almost killing Winston stood proudly at the stern, Enoch in the back with a plunger as first mate riding the tub all the way down from the suite to the ballroom. Beamed with confidence of a ship captain that had just won the day, Paris and Zuka just avoided being crushed and were soaked and thrown distant on the far side of the mass rabble. The crowd looked at Winston, who looked back equally stunned, and then erupted in hoots and hollers, soaking him in champagne and forcing absinthe shots down his throat. The revelry continued. Charity was drenched with water. She looked up into the crowd and was surprised to meet eyes with Edmund Green. He must have come from the office, found her not at home, and then knew exactly where to find her. He looked deeply hurt and disappointed. Felicity Founders whispered in his ear, turned him slightly, and directly introduced him to a stunningly sultry young woman who happened to be Agatha Fulcrum's daughter, Fanny. She quickly flirted with him and whisked him away from the wet mess and the sopping pile of shame and embarrassment that was Charity's suitor. Victor had had enough. He could hear the party downstairs. He could hear the street through his open window. He could hear life outside. His typewriter sat out on the ledge. He couldn't bring himself to have it tumble down on some fool's head. Who sat it out there for the pigeons. His suitcase in hand... His room was dark, cleaned of any sign of him. Asterisk on his bed, looking confused and searching for his food bowl. He put on his hat, picked up the cat, rolled to the door. He rolled down the hall to the elevator, the lobby filled with people. He pushed through them, down the green carpet to the sidewalk, and then to the corner. He hesitated, and then pushed an inch into the street. Immediately a memory overtook him. The breeze blowing all of his notes out the window scattered into the city, him rushing downstairs and grabbing at scraps in the air. And as he pushed off the corner into traffic, he spotted one of his notes on a scrap of paper, a line he planned to use at the end, a message between lovers. Love you more than the seas. Make them drown. Yes, they did. It was then that he remembered the last bit, that horrible sound, the horn screams and crashing, all so terribly loud enough to deafen a cat and turn the line of a story into a loop. Victor pulled himself back up on the curb and quickly returned to the hotel, up the elevator, down the quiet hallway, and he got to his room. Sound was quieting, fading already. He dropped Asterix just inside the door. His forehead was crinkled and his eyes wet almost to tears. Victor rolled to the window. 
limply pulled the typewriter from the ledge to his desk. He pushed in a paper, and with wet eyes, resignedly he cursed the name Duchess, and then wrote through the night. Would you like a ticket to enjoy the revelry of Noon Night Affair? Our Patreon is a place where you can see all the sordid savagery and indecent decadence of the mysteries of our fair city. Want some answers for once? Solve the mysteries and share never-before-heard stories, music, and spectacle. Come be a part of Moonlight Affair, Silent Treatment, and Selene with the other spirits again and again and again and again and again and again and again.